What's up, sober family? Welcome to I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye, the podcast for newly sober people learning to love ourselves instead of booze. Something that I'm doing now is like, I am heavily leaning into indulging in self-care. And I'm talking like buying myself a bouquet of flowers every week, taking ridiculously luxurious bubble baths, stretching for an hour in a candlelit room. I mean, like seriously letting myself chill the fuck out and treat myself. Today, my guest is Tawny Laura. I'm going to do it again. Today, my guest is Tawny, Tawny Lara. She said it's a Mexican last name, so I can, if I'm feeling spicy, I can roll the R. And I tried, and I don't know how that went, but Tawny Lara is a bisexual New York City-based writer, public speaker, and Webby award-winning podcaster who's made a name for herself as the sober sexpert in the online recovery space. She co-hosts the fantastic Recovery Rocks podcast. She's also the author of the forthcoming book, Dry Humping, a booze-free guide to sex, dating, and relationships, which will be published in 2023. But behind that public figure, though, is a woman whose story of addiction and recovery will inspire us to celebrate ourselves for who we are and to persevere in our new sober lives. I'm your host, Dana Kroll. I'm a former Army chaplain who developed a toxic relationship with alcohol after leaving the military. I stayed on a roller coaster of rock bottoms, recoveries, and relapses until finally in the winter of 2022, I found my way out of the cycle by connecting with people like you. After kissing alcohol goodbye, my goal is to never go back, but I can't do it alone, so let's break up with booze together. With me in the studio are Al K. Halfrey, my spirit animal for sobriety, and <laughs> Bruce, my PTSD service dog who is lurking somewhere in the background. Uh, and before we get rolling, I just want to quickly say that if you're new to sobriety and you're looking for a group of people to be your sober community, please come join the I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye Sober Family Facebook group. The link is in the show notes, or you can search Facebook groups for I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye. And last but not least, we have at least one member of the I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye premium community here in the studio listening in. And I want to welcome her, for thank her for being here. And if you'd like to be a part of the I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye premium service, it's six bucks a month and you get six perks. The link for that is also in the show notes and you get to do cool stuff like listen in on conversations and ask questions. So to our member who's out there, I will keep you anonymous, but if you would like to ask a question at any point, drop it in the chat and thanks for being here. Now let's get this party started with Tawny. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here and please tell us your sober story. I'm super excited about this. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Um, and it's cool to hear a little bit more about your story too. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so when it comes to sharing my story, I I prefer to talk about the message as opposed to the mess. Um, I, I think I think we've all heard enough. Like I did, I did this, this, and this, and and fucked up my life uh, yeah. stories. So I I prefer to talk about recovery. Um, but Absolutely. I I'll, I will loosely share. Um, you know, I I came from, you know, bartender party girl background. Like that was my, that was my life. Um, I started self-medicating with drugs and alcohol in my mid, uh, like mid teens, 14, 15, 16. Um, and then once I turned 18 in Texas, you could bartend. So oh, I wow. started, started bartending, um, and did live that life until I was, you know, I got sober at 29. So, um, so yeah, just, you know, just a little bit of, of that background and my, you know, my quote rock bottom story, which I think it's important to share this because most people think that you have to lose everything to even question your relationship with alcohol. And that wasn't my experience. 
Um, I, I, you know, I had relocated from Texas to New York City to pursue writing. And once I moved and I left my bartending scene um, and I was surrounded by, you know, I was taking a, a writing course at NYU, surrounded by fellow like-minded people that, you know, we had, we would go out for drinks every once in a while, but it wasn't like pounding shots <laughs> on a Tuesday, you know, it was, yeah. it was, our bond was about writing and art and creativity and um, seeing their faces when, you know, they would all have a glass of wine or a, a beer or whatever. And I'd be the weirdo at the bar ordering shots. That was the first time that I really looked and that was like a, you know, looking at myself gotcha. in the mirror, seeing their faces was like, oh, normal people don't drink like this. Yeah. That was, you know, that was a really big, really big eye-opening experience for me. Um, so, you know, one day in particular, I'm having some drinks in a pub with some friends and, you know, we're just shooting the shit talking about life. Um, you know, I'm talking about how I don't have enough time to write and my friend, I don't, doesn't have enough time to audition and you know, the irony was not, it was not lost on me when I left that pub literally four hours later, you know, it turned from sunlight to sundown. And I was like, I just spent four hours in a pub talking about how I don't have time to write. I think, I think there's something there. <laughs> um, so, you know, like, you know, the next day I woke up and had that, you know, kind of stereotypical look at myself in the mirror, like, you know, my mascara was like yesterday's mascara was on my face and makeup smudged and bloodshot and bloated. I just, I was just like, this party girl life is just not cute anymore. And I, I had, you know, I just, I had to physically see that. And that's the day that I stopped drinking. And, you know, for me, it was, I'm going to go one, I'm going to go one week. I'm going to go two weeks. I'm going to go three weeks. Um, and then my 30th birthday was coming up and I had this crazy, very millennial idea of giving up alcohol for a year and writing and blogging about the experience. Um, so this was 2015 when blogs were like, you know, everyone had a blog. Yeah. And uh, so that's what I did. I started a blog called sobrietyparty.com. And it was a very vulnerable, cringeworthy public telling of those early days of sobriety. And um, I, I did not, I didn't go to AA. My, my route was um, finding support in the online community, therapy. Um, I found a peer support group that works for me, um, yoga, meditation, you know, I, I, built this collection of tools that really helped me uh, take life one day at a time. And, you know, at the end of that one year, at the end of my 30th year, a couple of my friends were like, are you going to have a drink? You know, like it's been a year. Are you done? And I was like, uh, no, like every, my life got better yeah. during that year. Um, my health, physical health, my mental health was better. My skin cleared up. I was sleeping better. Um, my, you know, I, I was writing consistently, the blog was holding me accountable for and and the, the blog and the sobriety were my accountable for each other. You know, um, I was getting pieces published, like I had a couple blog posts go viral, I built a like a randomly built a following on social media, like, none of this was part of the plan, you know, yeah. it, it all came from 
I'm, it came from this really authentic place of I'm struggling. I didn't feel comfortable in AA. So I'm going to try this thing. And I did. And spoiler alert, November 30th will be seven years without alcohol. It's amazing. That Yeah. And it's, it's since evolved, you know, that I don't really blog much anymore, but that blog has, like you said, evolved into the podcast recovery rocks. Um, I've written pieces for Playboy, Huffington Post, Men's Health. I got a book deal, like really crazy, cool artistic things have happened because I stopped putting alcohol and, you know, the alcohol was this hurdle. I kept putting it in front of myself. So once I removed that hurdle or, you know, maybe learned how to jump over it, it just, my life truly got better. And that's not to say it's perfect. Sobriety is really freaking hard sometimes. Yeah. Um, even at seven years, you know, it's still hard. Um, but it's absolutely worth the work. Awesome. And so I think this episode actually is going to air on almost exactly your seven year. anniversary. Yes. So that's going to be perfect timing. I love that. I wrote down collection of tools. Cause I think that that is such a cool way to express it. You hear like toolkit or whatever. I just like this collection of, of tools that you, put together. Can you talk to me about which ones of those have been the most important to you since then? Like mm. the, there was that first year. And then what about in the six years since? I will say I'm very lucky that I have a therapist who has, she's been with me since the beginning. I started seeing her at like nine months sober and I still see her every single week. So we've been through a lot together. <laughs> <laughs> she's amazing. Um, so that's been consistent. Um, Lexapro has been incredible. I cannot, I'm not going to like endorse medication, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. you know, but like for me, that is, that really, really helped me with my depression and anxiety because, you know, that's, that's what it is. You know, recovery is figuring out why I drank to the point that I drank. Why was I drinking to the point of blacking out? What was actually going on? So once you remove that alcohol, those issues don't go away. They're actually bigger and scarier because you're feeling them and you're present for them. So like my PTSD was stronger. My anxiety was stronger. My depression was stronger. Yeah. Um, so that's why I had to have these tools um, to, to, stay, to stay grounded and not go back to something like just a quick salve that would make me feel better, maybe feel better in the moment. You know, like I had to really do some unpleasant, uncomfortable work. Yeah. And uh, again, not fun <laughs> at, <laughs> at all, but um, I'm sick. I'm much healthier and happier because of it. It's, it's awesome. And I'm glad that, was it hard for you to accept taking medication at first? Was, was there some stigma there that kept you from doing yeah. it? Or... Yeah, it, there was. And I, I started Lexapro, uh, the fall of 2020. So I was almost five years sober. Oh, okay. And it was like, I was at this point where I'm like, okay, I'm meditating. I'm doing yoga. I'm going to therapy. I'm going to support groups. I'm doing ma massages, acupuncture. Like I literally cannot add another form of self-care yeah, into yeah. my routine, you know? <laughs> um, and my, you know, talk to my therapist, talk to my doctor and it, it was, it, I was pretty much desperate. My anxiety was driving the bus and I was like, it was a last resort kind of thing. You know, I was like, okay, let's try it. And 
Um, I'm very lucky that I had a positive experience with it because I know some people don't. Um, Finding the right medication, like finding the right therapist, it you know, finding a partner. It's it's really hard finding the right thing because you have to sometimes try the wrong thing (laughs) and then realize it's wrong. And it can be exhausting. And I understand why people give up on the medication journey, honestly, because it's like, if you have like, you have to do these, take these pills for a couple months, see how it impacts you. Right. And if you're doing that with a couple different medications, that's like a really shitty year of, (laughs) of playing around with this, you know? So I'm grateful that I found the right therapist on the first try and the right medication. Yeah. And it can be one of those things that your body changes too. Cause I remember when I was a teenager, I had some panic attacks when I was going away to college and, you know, doc prescribed one thing. And then when I finally like gave in to meds and as part of my own therapy process over the last several years, I was like, well, you know, I told my psychiatrist, well, this worked for me, you know, back in the day. And so they prescribed that in the first pill I took of that, maybe like total like I was I didn't even try a second pill because I was like yeah. such a, a wreck and your body can change and you have to and, and it can be discouraging but I'm glad that I kind of stuck with it and found one that a, a different one that works great and you know it yeah thank you for sharing so openly about that part of your journey because I think that that still that stigma is still there as an army chaplain I would tell people like there's no there's no shame in seeking any sort of help at all you know yeah. mental or religious or or medical or whatever, but yet still there I was at having left the military going like, like the one time when I admitted to my, my, uh, my, one of my therapists at the time, like, you know, he's like, do you think maybe it's time to try medication? And I, and I started crying. Like, like I felt, yeah. defeated. I told my wife, I feel defeated. And it's like, well, it's, it's there. So anyway, thank you yes. for sharing so openly about that part. I mean, I'm, I'm very passionate about that conversation and I'm glad you stuck it out and you, you found what worked for you. And I mean, I think recovery is so deeply personal. So, you know, what works for one person may not work for the next. If cannabis in recovery works for you, great. Yeah. If yeah. mushrooms works for you, if taking an SSRI, you know, like a, if AA and complete abstinence works for you, great. You yeah. know, like it's, it's not up to us to decide to police someone's recovery, you know? So yeah whether you're sober curious, trying a dry, you know, doing dry January or you're 20 years in recovery. Like, I think there's, there's so much overlap there and I'm glad that people are talking about that now. Yeah, totally. And you mentioned as part of that discussion too, you mentioned, you know, it's like when you have different, when you have partners in your life, like you, sometimes you have to try different things. So talk to me more about that because, you know, that'll help us transition into, you know, you're known as the sober sex expert. So like, let's hear, hear how, how did partners and relationships uh, impact your journey? And, you know, I, I'm just so curious to hear about that past seven years, whatever you're willing to share. And I don't mean to be, I don't mean to private, like whatever you want to yeah. share about it, I would think would be fascinating. Yeah. I mean, like when I got, when I got sober, the thought of dating, let alone having sex without alcohol scared the hell out of me. So that was something that I, I blogged about. I talked about pretty openly um, and realized, you know, li- like uh, people listening to this conversation, like, oh, I'm not alone in this. Like, oh, yeah. cool. Like Tawny and Dana feel that way too. You know, that's yeah. comforting. It was the same way in my early sobriety of like reading uh, 
Instagram posts or books about people struggling with the same thing. So that was really validating and comforting. Um, so, you know, like as, as a writer, my, my life is often what I write about. So I wrote about sober dating. I wrote about, you know, sober sex. I got really, really interested in learning how alcohol impacts your body sexually. Yeah. Um, that fascinates me. And that's a big chunk of the research that I did for my book. Um, you know, we have this idea that we need liquid courage to try something new in the bedroom or um, ask someone out on a date. I need to take a shot before I talk to that person over there. And so really learning about what liquid courage is, is a it's a facade, like it's not real. It's the alcohol is, you know, it's activating something that's already in you. You already have that desire. Yeah. You know, so it's, I think it's important to take a step back and realize that. Um, and sure it's, 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 you know, ridding you of the inhibitions, but we need inhibitions to be safe. And so it's, you know, like, and I think it's also worth noting that in this conversation, I'm talking about problem drinkers. I'm not talking about like, if you're having a glass of wine at dinner, that's a different conversation. Like if you're a normie, good for you. Have a glass Absolutely. I am jealous of you and yes, (laughs) good on you. Yes. Have a glass, have two glasses, one for me, one for Dana. Absolutely. Um, But you know, I'm talking about people that are binge drinking and, you know, having sex or going on dates, putting themselves in questionable positions um, because they're shit faced, which is what I, I did, you know, and it's, you know, I'm also just because you're wasted doesn't mean you deserve what happens to you. I'm not saying that at all. Right. Um, and you know, like that's another thing I dig into in the book is like the intersection of alcohol and the me too movement. Like alcohol is the number one date rape drug. You know, that's people are talking about, uh, like roofies, (laughs) but it's like, but they're putting roofies in a drink. Like they're putting roofies in your vodka soda. Yeah. So, you know, all I share all of that because I nerded the journalist in me nerded out on all of this research. And that helped me deal with my own issues with how alcohol and sex and dating were so intertwined Yeah. and learning the science behind it really helped me pull it apart, you know, with a therapist, with, you know, journaling and a bunch of, you know, spiritual work, but it's, it's really fascinating to me how, uh, you know, we take a shot to quote, feel better. Um, but it's, we're not really paying attention to that. It's yeah. Yeah. It's numbing our anxiety, but it's also numbing your nervous system. It's hindering genital response. It can cause erectile dysfunction. It can cause vaginal dryness. Like, you know, it, that, that those things aren't sexy. (laughs) No one's talking about that. Right. And, and I'm so glad that we're having this conversation because this is where the former, um, the, with emphasis on the former, uh, you know, Christian minister in me is like, oh, wow, I get to have this conversation because before, and I'm curious as part of the last seven years, have you received any backlash from say um, more puritanical folks, I guess would be a way to say, I'm trying to not be nasty. I'm just saying like from folks that were, because I really feel like that's what I was kind of raised in was like this late 20th century sort of, um, you know, I'm a 1980 baby. So it was like, you know, sex is, is out there. It's in the media and it's talked about. And obviously as a young person, you know, like it was talked about from the time that I was very little, I, I, I picked up on things, but 
you know, there was still this sense of like, we tiptoe around these kinds of topics. And I think it's so great that you're, you're bringing it out there. What, has there been any sort of pushback against you from anybody across any spectrum or, or have you received a lot of receptive? I, I know you've received receptiveness, but has there been any pushback, I guess, is the question. The, I'm glad you asked that. Um, the only pushback I've received so far was, um, in the fall of 2019, I did a lot of research uh, interviewing sober porn stars. Okay. People that like sex workers that are in recovery and they're, you know, they're at the top of their game. They're doing really well and they're recovery advocates. That's really interesting to me. Yeah. I wrote an article about that and I got a lot of backlash um, from, from people that just don't, that, that are anti-porn, yeah. that think, that are anti-sex work. So that was also really eye-opening to me because I'm like, I'm just a journalist reporting on this. I can't imagine what it's like to actually be these people and hear this, hear these terrible things people are saying, yeah. and they don't even, they don't even know you, you know? Right. So um, I'm, I mean, I'm not, ne I'm never one to uh, shy away from controversy. I, <laughs> you know, when I was 14 in Waco, Texas, I was writing you know, about legalizing cannabis. I was writing about abortion and gay marriage and I had a, I got a lot of shit for that. So I'm, I'm like, bring it on. <laughs> well, and I'm doing the math and I'm putting the timeline. Cause I think I'm several years older than you, but I'm like thinking, holy shit, like to be 14, to be a 14 year old female in Texas around that time uh, period to be doing that. Yeah. You're yeah. Not, certainly not afraid of it. You're not bashful about any of it. It's just, it's interesting nope. that it took until 20, <laughs> 20 you know the 2020s until well and you started writing in 2015 but still like that it took that long for sort of the the prudish side of american culture to start becoming receptive to this and and again i'm i'm trying to not hack on anybody here because this is a big part of my story like so i mean i'm if anything i'm hacking on myself i'm just saying i'm glad that i'm able to have this conversation with with you now and i've got a question from our Premium subscriber, thank you for asking. Yay. She says, Tawny, I know this is a personal question, but how has your dating life changed in sobriety? Because I feel like it's become difficult for me. And I definitely think it has a lot to do with how everyone normalizes drinking and meeting people at bars. And I'm not in that scene and I'm in my 30s, which makes it more difficult. And she says, thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, I literally wrote the book on that. So you're, <laughs> you're <laughs> asking the right person. Um, so... I, something that I will say that was super important in my early sobriety was that I spent a lot of time dating myself, getting very intimate like with, with who I am, discovering who I am without alcohol, both emotionally and sexually. Um, and I think I was single, but I think it's important to do even if you ha are in a relationship. I think it's important to spend time alone Um Take yourself out to a, a nice dinner, go get a massage, uh, spend time masturbating and learning about your body, especially for women. You know, we were not taught about pleasure at all. So especially for women, I think it's important to spend a lot of time with your body, reconnecting the body and mind. So there's, there's also a couple sober dating apps. I don't know if you're on the apps. Um, there is one of the apps is, is literally called sober dating. Um, Bumble just added a sober feature and, um, Lucid, L-O-O-S-I-D. It's a, it's a sober social media app with a dating component. 
Um, so I think that's a good place to start is um, where you're, you know, if you want, the, if you want to date on the apps, that's a good place to start because you're already limiting that, that one thing, <laughs> you know, like the people on that app are not going to say, Hey, let's grab drinks. So that's a huge relief. Um, and I think, you know, I think it's important piggybacking off the dating yourself thing, spend that, spend the time doing creative things. Like I was, like I mentioned, I was going, taking writing classes, studying Spanish, um, just, you know, taking, doing yoga classes, just like doing, doing active things where I met other people and you know, whether that turned into friendships, dates, whatever, you're meeting people in an like-minded people in an organic setting. You already have like, you already have this thing that is important to you too. That's enough. That's a lot to talk about, you know? Um, so I, I think really thinking outside the box here, you know, we're not going to bars anymore. <laughs> so yeah. we're not going to bars and hooking up with strangers. I mean, maybe you are good for you, but like, I don't think this person is because they said that it's not the bars aren't their scene. So what is your scene? That's where your partner is going to be. And so, and I think you're going to find that by organically spending time alone in those places. I don't know if that helps. Thank you for asking that question because that's a great one. And it allows me to ask the question from say, there's the, um, you know, middle-aged monogamous, been married for a long time person who's listening to this episode, you know, what would be something that they uh, can learn from reading your book, reading your work now, and then buying the book later on? What is it that um, you think that uh, sort of your more traditional, you know, 20th century model of things uh, of marriage and relationships, et cetera, uh, can take away from your writing and your work? Because I think it's fascinating. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I I still think that spending time alone is very important. You know, if you're in a monogamous relationship, you've been married for 20 years, ask for a little bit more alone time, go do something by yourself, go take, go take a pottery class, go, go on walks every night, like whatever, whatever you want to do um, reconnecting with who you are and bring, and then once you feel comfortable in that, bringing that in, in, into the relationship. Um, and I think both people should do this that are in the relationship. Like maybe there's one night a week where you each do your own thing. And then you tell then you come home and you tell each other about it. Like there there's again, thinking outside of the box here. And then, um, I, you know, I'm always a big fan of communication. If there's something new that you guys want to try in the bedroom, talk about it, read about it, read an article about it, watch a porn, watch like there. I mean, there's, there's so much content out there for free. Um, Just talk about it. Ask your partner, you know, is, is there anything that you've wanted to try in bed that we haven't done yet? And these can be difficult conversations. I, I very much acknowledge that. And I very much acknowledge that's why people like to have a glass of wine before they have yeah. these conversations. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in that regard, maybe, you know, you can still have a glass of something. Maybe you're, ha- maybe you guys are, you ha- my partner and I like to just make a pot of tea and catch up on our day together. And it's like, it's not so much that, that, 
it was the alcohol that can connect a couple. It's more of like, we're sharing this experience. We're sharing this tea. We're present in this moment with each other. So I think it's, it's really figuring out new ways to, to stay present with each other and getting alone time. Okay. And the piggyback question, thank you for that, because that's very helpful. Piggyback question to that is what would you say to guys in general? Because I, the men's health article that you did with your partner, I think it might've been about a year and a half ago, but I thought that was so cool that, you know, here's a, a couple that's willing to be um, so open about, you know, their relationship. What would you just say to guys in, in general uh, about the importance of the communication piece and, or uh, just any, any of the topics that you're passionate about, because um, I think it can be intimidating for us, for us dudes sometimes to get in touch with some of the, uh, the things that you're talking about. Yeah. I, I, I'm so glad that you asked that question. That's great. Uh, First of all, I think every man should read a book called Ejaculate Responsibly by Gabrielle Blair. I saw Ruby Warrington recommend this book, I think, the other day. Yeah. Yes. Um, It is fascinating. It is about how the role that men play in um, pregnancy. And it's a very short, it's like, it's like a hundred pages. It's very, you can read it in like two hours. Um, very quick, quick read. And it's written by, I think it's worth noting a Mormon mother of six, um, who was like a mom influencer. (laughs) So it's, you know, I think it's important to note that this perspective is, it's not coming from like a single woman. It's coming from a, which is, it would be valid that that way too. But I think this adds even more weight. Um, so I, I do think in the context of sex and dating, I think men need to be more aware of what women go through to prevent pregnancy and then see what they can do to make that experience a little bit easier for their partner or their date. So read that book and buy condoms, number one. Okay. Um, and then, you know, I think I, I will say the, the sober curious, the alcohol free space, it is at least in New York city, it's predominantly women. Um, and they're looking, <laughs> you know, like I will say they're looking. And so, you know, like look for women in different places, you know, like you don't have to give up drinking, but maybe don't pick up girls in a bar. Maybe, maybe see if there's other ways that you can reconnect with, or you can connect with someone new where you have something in common that's bigger than a tequila shot, you know? Um, And then lastly, I would just say communicate. And I know that's really hard for men. You know, your feelings are valid. Your feelings are totally valid. And anyone who's dating you wants to know how you're feeling. They really want to. Anyone who cares about you, you know, they want to know how you're feeling and tell us. (laughs) It's, uh, it's gold. I love it. My last question for you, Tawny Lara, is uh, this is the show for newly sober people who are learning to love ourselves instead of booze. So I would like to hear what are some ways that you love yourself um, 
now it, it could be now it could be throughout the last seven years or just you know what's i know you've you've alluded to you certainly highlighted some throughout the conversation but what would maybe be the the most important one for you or what would be your advice be to those of us who are very new in sobriety i mean i'm just coming up on nine months so i i'm still a baby like i i'm still learning to walk right now you know what what are some things that us newly sober folks can do to love ourselves that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I already mentioned the the toolbox of, you know, therapy and yoga and like all of these big things. Yeah. I think for early sobriety, something that, or, so, I mean, I'm almost seven years sober. Something that I'm doing now is like, I am heavily leaning into indulging in self-care. And I'm talking like buying myself a bouquet of flowers every week, taking ridiculously luxurious bubble baths stretching for an hour in a candlelit room i mean like okay. like yeah like i'm like seriously letting myself chill the fuck out and treat myself and you know i'm just now getting into that at you know six seven years sober that's something that i think someone in early sobriety should totally do like get more massages just okay. do it just go get more massages do acupuncture, get a facial, whatever self-care and look, whatever luxury, whatever luxurious self-care means to you. I think like we've all been through so much, especially lately, like pamper the fuck out of yourself. That is, that's my biggest takeaway. Okay. I love it. Maybe that'll be the, maybe that'll be the title to the episode. Yes. Pamper the fuck out of yourself. Do it. I can't recommend it enough. It's either going to be that, or I spend a lot of time, you know, spend time dating yourself. Uh, it's going to be yeah. one of the two of those. And uh, well, what I, they both have in common is yeah. spending time with yourself. Yeah. You know, like the thing that we, as people in recovery or sober curious, the thing that we used alcohol for was to escape ourselves. So really reeling it in and really getting connected to yourself. That's, that's the most important thing. There it is. I am so honored and grateful to you, Tony, for sharing uh, time out of your busy schedule and glad that you're still making time to and, and setting an example for us in that of, of pampering, pampering the fuck out of yourself, uh, because <laughs> yes. that's something that I have have not done. I mean, there's kind of like I, I as I think about it, I'm like, well, I've given myself kind of like token stuff here and there, like, oh, I'll buy myself a candy bar or, or I'll get a, like a milkshake. Okay, great. Like that, that's okay. I mean, that's fine. Yeah. You got to do this, the tiny, the small things too, but, but the big things like that, I don't know what, I don't know what I've done. Big luxury type thing to. What would you do? What's like, what's like a, an audacious, like Dana that's has a day to himself, like, or an hour to himself, you yeah. know, like what's, Shit, I don't know. It would probably I don't live near the coast, so I can't go surf. That's my favorite thing in the mm. world to do. Um, but I think I would just uh actually it would be to go sit in my favorite coffee shop and write and and write, which I have not done in a long time. That's it right there. Great. Boom. I love it. All right. Well, I'm gonna have to do it. But wanna thank Tawny for uh joining us on this wonderful episode of I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye. We'll look forward to seeing you next time. And until then, Al and Spruce and I bid you our best and send you all of our sober love by saying goodbye, alcohol. Mwah! And hello life. Much love to you all and peace. Bye.